You're listening to The Right Process, a podcast in which one writer tells the story of completing one work from concept to completion. I'm your host, Charlie Jensen. The Right Process is brought to you by the Writer's Program at UCLA Extension, helping you reach your writing goals one page at a time. Enroll now at uclaextension.edu. Hi, my name is April Shee, and I wrote episode 506, a.k.a. This Brief Fermata of You're the Worst on FXX. April Shee grew up in a sleepy beach suburb of Los Angeles. She entertained herself by catfishing people in AOL chat rooms. This urge to make shit up turned into a passion for filmmaking, film school at NYU, and then several years working in the indie film and theater world, wearing every hat imaginable. She edited actors' reels, served as a proxy for James Franco in his classes at UCLA, and produced an award-winning revival of Kiss of the Spider Woman, the musical. Then, she decided to eat, pray, love her way to Las Vegas, where she spent two years playing poker for a living. Returning to writing in 2017, April graduated in playwriting from Cal State Northridge and was soon selected by a whole pile of fellowships, the Cape New Writers Fellowship, Sundance Episodic Story Lab, the inaugural Film Independent Episodic Lab, and the CBS Writers Mentoring Program, which led to her first job as a staff writer on the FXX comedy, You're the Worst. You're the Worst follows Jimmy, a self-involved writer, and Gretchen, a self-destructed Los Angeles PR executive, who meet at a wedding, have a one-night stand, and then find themselves attracted and repulsed by one another as they attempt a relationship. In the season five episode, This Brief Fermata, Jimmy feels guilty about his brief sexual encounter with the florist the previous week and suggests to Gretchen that they have a week of no-strings-attached sex, which she agrees to. He fakes several hookups to encourage Gretchen, but she is too busy at work coming up with a marketing campaign for Knock Knock before he signs with them. At the end of the week, he admits his indiscretion with the florist and that it happened before they made the agreement. Creator Stephen Falk, who was my boss, um, kind of had his idea of kind of where he wanted the season to go, but he was very open to us just like throwing bricks at it and totally burning it down if we had to. But it was very helpful to know that it was the last season when we started breaking it. Oftentimes it's hard to break a season when you don't know where it's going. So it was very helpful that Stephen had the finishing image in his mind. We started breaking uh, season five by uh, basically blue skying is what we call it uh, for two weeks. We just kind of throw up any ideas on the board that we can think of anything from like macro ideas to like small episode ideas or like character ideas of like, oh, this might be a fun bit. We started kind of tossing up character arcs for the season and we broke those into quadrants so if there were our three acts in a season we'd break it into act one act 2a act 2b and act three and then we'd come up with character arcs for each of those for each of the main four characters that is kind of like the broad strokes of it and then after that kind of got clarified we started throwing up individual episode ideas So on the board, there would be 13 kind of grids, and those represented the 13 episodes of the season. And we'd have them kind of set up already, and anytime we had an idea, we'd be like, this kind of feels like this would happen around episode 7 or 8, so let's just throw it up there. Soon the season kind of started taking shape, and we kind of could tell what each episode was going to be. The board is basically a whiteboard, (laughs) and our entire room was covered in them, so... 
the room had one side that was only windows, but every other wall was full of dry erase boards. And one of them had tape on them that created like the 13 episode grid. The other one had tape that created the quadrant for the act one, act two, act three structure that I was talking about. And then we had these other boards behind us on the other wall that was just slush, basically, like things that could happen that are fun. And we just threw them up there and kept them up there for basically the whole season. And as we started kind of using up all the storylines, we would uh, erase them. But I think every show calls that board something different. I'm not actually sure what we call it on that show. But on another show, we called it like the Buffalo Cooler. And I'm not sure where that term comes from. The writer's room breaks all the episodes together. And on this particular show, we actually group wrote the outlines. So they were very detailed by the time uh, the writer went off to script. We had probably like 10 pages of an outline with some like joke pitches and stuff that we had all come up with together in the room collectively. So that's a lot of material to work with for a 30 page, 30 minute show. Um, So yeah, it, it basically, it was kind of fully baked structurally. And then we were able to come up with dialogue and jokes and ways into the scene that were interesting ways out of the scene that were interesting and um it was pretty it was a pretty quick process because once we got assigned the outline and were sent off to script we actually still had to be in the room so we would write on nights and weekends and we had about a week to turn that over for the first draft coming in I was a staff writer and this was my first job ever so I was obviously a little intimidated uh on the first day of school as you would call it And I think everyone was a little bit nervous, though, because we were kind of a new room and it was a new dynamic for everybody. But we were feeling each other out. And it quickly became clear that Stephen was open to all of us speaking whenever and he expected us to contribute. Um, So the pressure kind of came off probably by lunch. Uh, Obviously, I was still a little bit nervous, but I felt like I got more and more confident that first week because I would say things that would resonate or... Stephen at least make me feel heard, and that really fostered an environment in which I felt like I could contribute as much as anybody else. I would say that the fellowships that I was a part of, which were many, I did four that uh, that year uh, or the year prior, 2017. I did uh, the Cape Fellowship at the Sundance Episodic Lab, the Film Independent Lab, and the CBS Writers Mentoring Program. Actually, I did that one concurrently to my job on You're the Worst. But they did prepare me in a way because you do have to um, learn how to give notes in a group setting. I had been a part of like three writers groups for several years, so I had been giving notes in a group setting in that way. So speaking in a group environment wasn't the biggest obstacle for me. And I would definitely recommend that everyone be in a writers group because that was like the biggest preparation for me being in a a room for the first time. Steven assigns all the episodes and there didn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to how he assigned them. Normally, I think shows are uh, assigned or the episodes are usually assigned by hierarchy um, from top to bottom on some shows, but that wasn't necessarily the case on this show. And I think that that had to do with the fact that For the most part, we were a brand new room, except for Steven, the creator, and one other writer, Philippe. And so since, you know, we had a bunch of new people and one returning writer, I think Steven wrote the first episode and Philippe wrote the second episode to kind of get the wheels going uh, on the season. And then it just seemed kind of arbitrary. I'm sure Steven had 
his own way of figuring out like who was going to write which one. But I remember getting an email from him just asking me if he thought I wanted to write episode six. And it was structurally kind of different. And he wanted to know if I wanted to do that one or a more kind of normal, quote unquote, normal structure episode. And I was like ready to take on the challenge because I love weird structures. Step one for me particularly as a writer is interesting because I like to write an entire vomit draft in one day if possible so that I give myself the rest of the time that I have to basically edit and it takes the pressure off. I know most writers don't necessarily write this way, but I write like the the worst possible version of the script and I just get it out. I don't care. And as long as I have the page count, I feel very like satisfied with myself. And then starting the next day, I start actually going in scene by scene. And I don't actually write scenes in order. Uh, I don't know how normal that is. But I just go with whichever scene seems fun and start there and then jump over the ones I don't want to write until, you know, the very end. Uh, And it works for me. And it's a pretty stressless process for me. Um, And I'm sure for a lot of other TV writers, they have figured out their best way of getting a script done in a week. Uh, But that is the way I've kind of uh, come to work. I don't have a lot of time between vomit draft and actual revisions because of the nature of television. We have to deliver a draft in a week. So, uh, you know, after I write the vomit draft, I just immediately start kind of tweaking it until it's kind of semi-readable. And then I'll print out a version. And I like having the hard copy to give myself handwritten notes. And then I actually retype the whole thing, uh, which I know is time consuming and horrible. (laughs) But I like doing it because I'm not going to type I'm not going to retype something that's really shitty, and I'll just come up with something better uh, in the process of retyping. Technically, I turned in a first draft to my boss in a week. But for myself, I probably had like three to four versions that I had printed and retyped. I don't know if I retyped every single one, but it got to a point where, yeah, I was revising a lot because I really wanted it to be a great first draft uh, in his eyes. So while it said first draft when I turned it in, that was probably my, yeah, fourth draft. After I turned in the first draft to Stephen, I got a round of notes from Stephen, and then I went back and rewrote it in about... Probably I got another weekend or so, maybe four days. I don't actually remember the exact number. And then I brought it back in and we tabled it in the room together. So that basically means everybody in the room reads it and then gives notes as if a writer's group would give notes. You know, we just go around the table page by page and uh, pitch jokes or just overall notes or whatever. And after that... I believe we actually tabled this episode twice, um, and in between I wrote my another pass. So there were several passes involved. But overall, I don't think that the draft actually changed that that much from my first draft. Um, There were just a lot more cuts and like joke pitches and stuff like that because I think it was a little bit long when I turned it in. It might have been 36 pages, and it had to be down to like 31 for network. After we 
turn in all the scripts. We ended up doing a cuts and punches pass for each of the scripts, which basically means we took all the scripts home and just tried to cut as much out of it as possible and pitch a bunch of alts for all the jokes. Then we'd bring them back into the room and go page by page and be like, what are the alts that were pitched on this? After those two table passes, Stephen took his pass, either laugh or not laugh, and either keep the original or take a new one. Um, And the cuts are very helpful uh, because we had to eventually get them down to about, I think, 26 pages. So by this point, we had already cut like 10 pages out of my first draft, which is very normal, I guess. But that process happened, and then we table read it as a writer's room and we did not have table reads with the cast so we kind of had to just be the actors in it and it was called fuck week up until the very end and in fact that draft that we turned into the network had 69 occurrences of the word fuck and i think about 30 something made it into air which is pretty crazy for an fxx show because uh the season prior to this i think they were allowed maybe one or two fucks and the previous three seasons, they weren't allowed any fucks. So th- we just took advantage of the fuck week premise and just wanted to use the word fuck when the characters weren't actually doing any, you know, any fucking. <laughs> but yeah, we were pretty nervous to see how many fucks we could get away with. And I think we were pretty pleased that they let us keep that many. That's a that's over a fuck a minute. When this thing premiered, uh, I brought my dad because I thought he should come, and I was very nervous and embarrassed. (laughs) I was like, I figured out a way to make my dad proud and, like, disappointed at me at the same time. Basically, I feel like that was the end of the process for me. I think that there was another pass once they were going to production. Since this was a cable show, and I'm not actually sure this is true of all cable shows, but uh, You're the Worst in particular, we actually didn't go into production until after all the scripts were written and the room had wrapped. So that's a very fortunate position to be in for obvious reasons because we go back and add stuff to previous episodes if we figured out by the end that we needed to plan some stuff. And it also gave us the opportunity to really kind of strengthen everything and not have the pressure of delivering to just to the actors because they needed to film it that day or something. And I know a lot of network shows have to deliver. They're like, we're shooting tomorrow. <laughs> like, I don't care what job this is. So we had a lot of luxury and wiggle room in terms of just taking our time with revisions. And in fact, I actually think our room kind of finished all our scripts about a month early. So the last month of the room was basically just us doing cuts and punches and maybe tabling the last few scripts, but it was a pretty kind of leisurely pace by the end and many, many days off, which is very fortunate. Stephen fostered an environment in which we really were able to kind of be vulnerable in the room and bring our personal stories to it. And that was really important to him. And I think in our interviews with him uh, for, the, for the hiring of the show, he wanted to make sure that we could bring that uh, to the table. And so every morning when we started work, we'd be ordering our lunch and the binder would be getting passed around. And Stephen would ask everybody what did you do last night? So we'd go around the table and say that every single day. So we really got to know each other and our personal lives. And I was going through kind of a personal situation then as well. So a lot of the stuff that came up in the room relationship-wise had to do with my own personal life. And I really actually felt like I kind of had a 
personal awakening through working out Gretchen's issues. And I even said one day, I'm like, oh, my God, like I'm resonating way too hard with this character. This is not a good sign. And it really made me take a look at myself. But the way she was able to kind of actualize on her journey in the show helped me realize that I could, too. And I incidentally went from cynic to romantic in the course of this season. To Stephen's dismay. I was like, can you just hold off on that until June? Because, you know, we need the cynical voice. (laughs) I was able to learn a lot in this room because the environment was so egalitarian and uh, really was kind of like best pitch wins. And I always felt very empowered to speak and pitch. And it's since given me the confidence in other rooms to speak up and pitch. But uh, I was also able to kind of sit and learn room dynamics in general and how Stephen is able to sit and just listen to every idea, process before responding, and then respond in a way that he's not really shutting you down. He's just saying whether or not it works or if it's interesting or if it's interesting but not necessarily right for this particular episode or if it's like, oh, too bad if we had another season we could do that or something. You know, he... uh, was very composed and I think I've learned to kind of respond in that way because a lot of times I go off gut reaction and I'm like ugh (laughs) and I know I can't have that face in a writer's room anymore. (laughs) We were really honest with each other. I mean I felt like this room was the most intimate room that I've been in even thus far and I've been in pretty intimate rooms and even now when I kind of talk to those guys and uh, reminisce about last year, it really feels like we had something special because we know so much about each other just from literally sharing all the kind of things we're scared of and the painful experiences and the things we're actually going through while we were in the room. Um, it really bonded us in that way and it was something special. While we did break the whole episode in the room together and, you know, all of that was very collaborative, some of the scenes I did pull from my actual life as a kind of party girl in LA in the 20s. Um, there is a scene in the bar where uh, Lindsay and Gretchen are uh, trying to hook up. And they're making out with these, like, young, struggling actor types. And that was definitely, that whole sequence used to be a lot longer. And it all was about struggling actors and how they're the best because they're so eager to please. And how, you know, know, they were reminiscing about helping them run lines for their, like, production of Danny and the Deep Blue Sea in a black box theater in North Hollywood. Like, all of that was definitely autobiographical. I think a lot of that got cut, but the, the struggling actor lines still made it in. And just in general, all the L.A. kind of landmarks and stuff were like Runyon Canyon. I mean, I never personally picked up any guys at Runyon Canyon, but I've looked around and noticed that there were good looking people at Runyon Canyon that one perhaps may want to pick up if they were so inclined. The most challenging part of the episode, I think, actually ended up being Lindsay's voice. Lindsay's one of the main four characters, and I thought I had her voice down pretty well, but for some reason I kept getting the note, like, do a Lindsay pass. And the other challenging part was we had a new character that premiered in my episode. His name was Knock Knock, and he was this kind of mysterious, enigmatic SoundCloud rapper, and he had never appeared on the show before. So while we had kind of discussed 
what he would sound like and the kind of weird shit he would say in the room, he didn't really have a voice. And there was no actor for me to kind of look to to be like, oh, that's who I'm writing for. So that was pretty challenging, but it was actually kind of fun, too, to come up with just weird stuff this guy could say from my imagination. (laughs) This process taught me a lot of things, actually, but it mainly taught me that I could deliver a script really quickly. And that was a huge revelation for me because, you know, you work so hard to get this first job and then you get assigned a script and then you're like, shit, can I even write a script? And I don't know if that's like a normal thought, but for me, it happens literally every time. (laughs) And I'm not sure it'll ever go away for me, but I have now the confidence to know that I've delivered a couple of scripts in less than a week and there is no excuse, I guess, for anybody who is under a time crunch. You can do it. If I can do it, it used to take me like a month to write a script and if I could do it in like a few days, so can anybody else. I also learned a lot about the process of how to kind of make a room run smoothly in general. Steven is a very efficient person. And I like his process a lot, and I've since incorporated a lot of it into my own work. I never thought of breaking down a season into a three-act structure into a quadrant, which really is four acts, but whatever you want to call it. Uh, But it was kind of cool to be able to track character arcs in that way, and that made it very kind of easy to weave them in and out of each episode and and be able to track where they're at emotionally. And I'm a very character-driven type of writer, so without that compass, I feel like I would get really lost when we were breaking plot. But because we always had that board up, I never got lost. And so now I definitely try to incorporate that kind of character arc work, that visual representation of their arc in my own writing process. What was memorable for me in writing the episode was that this was actually my favorite show when I got hired to write it. So I already had these voices in my head for four seasons. I was a big fan, you know, and I actually even wrote a spec episode of it for the fellowship programs like two years before. And I had broken down a ton of episodes, really gotten the characters' voices in my ear. So it was just kind of thrilling to know that I was writing something that the actual actors were going to say. Since it was my first episode of television that was produced, I decided that I should probably throw some kind of party because I love partying. (laughs) So I used that as an excuse to host a little bit of a screening at a local bar called Thirsty Merchant in uh, Studio City. And I invited a few people and then it ended up snowballing into about 100 people, including a lot of the cast, Kether, who plays Lindsay, and Aya, who plays Gretchen, and a bunch of the other supporting cast were there. And a lot of my fellow writers from the room were there. And just a lot of my writer friends from this industry in general showed up. And then I ended up bringing my father like last second because I was like, I feel like he should be here for this. But I was very nervous that he was not going to understand what was going on since every other word was fuck, basically. But uh, we had some technical difficulties at the bar. So I was very stressed out the whole time because I didn't realize nobody told me that their kind of cable situation was DirecTV, which meant that they were on an East Coast stream or East Coast feed or something. And that meant the episode had already aired at 7 p.m. And I was like, oh my God, there's 100 people here and the show's not going to air until 1130. What do we do? And it ended up working out that 
Um, the bar manager like ran home and grabbed her laptop. One of the people logged into the FX uh, Now streaming site thing, and we got it up and running by like 11, which was an hour later than we were supposed to. And the sound was bad because it was just on one TV, but it ended up being like a really fun experience. And we also kind of played this drinking game where we would drink every time the word fuck was said, which meant we got very drunk very quickly. <laughs> but it was pretty incredible to see words that I had written be said in the way that I had envisioned in my head on screen. And I had watched these characters since season one, and all of a sudden they were on screen acting and saying things that I had written, and that was a pretty phenomenal experience, and I don't think it's something I'll ever get used to. I'm really lucky to have been able to write on the last season of my favorite show. So. The Right Process is hosted and curated by me, Charlie Jensen, and recorded at the UCLA Extension Studios. This season was produced by Jamie Moss. Audio support was provided by Andre Nikolaev. The Writers Program offers courses, certificates, and services that help writers achieve their writing goals one page at a time. For more information, visit writers.uclaextension.edu.